What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with another episode where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN Plus 16 card headlined by Donald Cowboy Cerrone taking on Justin Gaethje. This card takes place in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and it features 12 fights that will be aired entirely on ESPN+, Plus. with the first fight starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and the main card starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the prelims and the main card both have six fights on them. We were supposed to have 13 fights, but Marvin Vittori versus Andrew Sanchez has been canceled, so we will proceed with just 12 fights, and uh, this should be a good card, and we're going to start things off right away. In the lightweight division, we have Kyle Prepelik, who is 12-6, taking on Austin Hubbard, who is 10-3. The opening betting line for this one was Hubbard the favorite at minus 230, Prepelik plus 170. Right now we are seeing Hubbard minus 135, Prepelik plus 115. So line is tightening up, more money coming in on the dog in this one, and I agree with it. Uh, this is a very low-level fight. It's a pretty hard fight to predict. Both of these guys uh, made their UFC debuts last fight and both lost via dominant decision. But I'll give credit to them. They were kind of brought in as lambs for slaughter. Austin Hubbard uh, actually had multiple losses by submission, and he got matched up with uh, an incredible submission artist in his first fight. And he actually didn't get submitted. He was put in some bad positions, was taken down, had his back taken by Davi Hamos, uh, was getting outstruck by Hamos in that fight too, but stayed tough and was able to avoid the submission. So that was a small accomplishment uh, of his own. And getting over to Prepolik, he actually fought his last fight at welterweight versus Nordin Taleb. I think he came in on short notice on that fight and was uh, thoroughly outstruck in that fight, but that was up a weight class. Uh, 70 is definitely not his, um, his typical weight class. That's why he's dropping down in this one. Neither of their performances were too bad. They didn't look uh, like complete bums or anything like that. I don't quite know that they're UFC level or not, but I think this fight right here will uh, definitely decide that. That's why it's a hard fight to predict because uh, we haven't seen these guys win in the octagon yet. There's uh, limited regional footage on them. Uh, what I have uh, written down about them is, um, so we'll start, we'll start things off with Preplik. He's the underdog, and I think that if you could bet him at maybe plus 130 or above, there was value on that line because uh, I slightly favored Hubbard I believe in this fight uh, maybe 55% to 45 so if you got in on uh, Preplik as a decent dog um, you know I'd say that's a good play uh, and it's I'd say Preplik is definitely the more likely one to finish Hubbard is more likely to get takedowns top position uh, maybe look for a submission, uh, but he, Hubbard's more decision-based. Uh, he did have a finish on his record uh, before he got in the UFC, but it was in like the last 15 seconds of the fight. Uh, uh, Hubbard has actually gone the full five rounds before. Um, he struggled with takedown defense. He got taken down uh, by Park, and he's got, of course, taken down by Hamos. He got taken down by Eric Wisely and grinded out for all five rounds. So Hubbard's weakness, I would definitely say, is uh, is getting taken down, put on his back. Um, Preplik actually struggles with the same weakness as well. So I think whoever really is able to dominate the grappling in this one should be able to win the fight uh, because on the stand-up, it should be pretty close. I gave a slight edge to Preplik. So I'd say we either get uh, maybe a Preplik knockout in this one or a Hubbard decision. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I guess I'll side with Preplik to get the finish in this one. Uh, I believe I put it down a bet on him around plus 145 and uh, I, de I definitely beat that line by about 30, 40 cents. So it's looking like a decent 
decent bet, but I'm not in love with it. I don't. Uh, I'm not too invested in this fight, and it's not a confident pick at all. So, um, we'll move on to the next fight uh, in the bantamweight division. Luis Smolka, who is 15 and six, taking on Ryan McDonald, who is 10 and one. The opening betting line for this one was Smolka the favorite at minus 230, McDonald plus 170. We are seeing now Smolka minus 235, McDonald plus 195. So two-way action coming on this fight. Actually, uh, at one point, the early action came in on Smolka, and he was uh, it was at a pick'em for a little bit um, a few weeks ago when the line first came out, which is absolutely shocking. And then since then, a ton more action has come in on on uh, Smolka. So I guess uh, maybe that early action came in on uh, Smolka or on McDonald. People were fading Smolka and had those low limits on the books. Uh, but once the limits opened up a little bit, you saw that uh, that heavy sharp action come in on Smolka. And I do think it's the right side. I think that. Smoker is obviously the more proven fighter. He's fought and beaten the better competition, and he probably has the better overall MMA game. He's just fighting a, a younger guy in uh, McDonald, doesn't have as many losses, only has one loss actually, and that was in his last fight, uh, which came by the hands of Chris Gutierrez. He was just outstruck in that fight for the most part. He got leg kicked, he got outboxed. I think he even maybe got taken down once or twice, got his takedown stuffed. So it was not a good performance from him. Smoker, though, also coming off of a really bad performance he was just completely outclassed by Matt Schnell was getting outstruck in the feet lit up with punches and then he got taken down with a body lock he got, almost got guillotined and then he got uh, eventually got triangled and, and choked out with that one so he was just beaten on the feet outstruck he looked slow he looked like he didn't want to be in there it looked like he knew that things were going bad but by the first couple of punches that he landed but I will give Smoker credit to, because his last win was over Sumajari and he came in in that fight he took Sumajari down he uh, was looking to get the top position he struggled a little bit getting top position but eventually got the back take he landed great ground and pound almost finished him with ground and pound in round one and then eventually got the submission in round two via arm bar so it was a nice win and especially after Sumajari's last performance over Sukumtad a few weeks back that win looks really good but uh, Smoka he is very inconsistent and uh, he has uh, you know had some personal problems he's not been in the best physical shape for some of his fights and he did not look in good shape last fight versus Chanel. So I definitely would not lay the chalk on Smoka at minus 200. And uh, I wouldn't bet him really as a favorite at all. I'd definitely say that it's a dog or pass situation where it's at right now. I understand why some people are trusting Smoka, but I just can't with how bad he looked in that last fight. Uh, I do think he wins the fight. I do think he... Um, possibly gets a submission that's really Smoker's go-to way of winning the fights is submission he could uh, ride out top position to get a decision but at some point I think Smoker probably gets the submission in this one but it's still going to be a pass for me in the bet uh, betting window not even uh throwing any action on mcdonald because uh, i just don't even see i mean maybe it'll be a good live betting spot on mcdonald if he's able to withstand the grappling attack in round one but other than that uh, it's going to be a pass for me on this fight and the pick is smoker submission Next fight in the featherweight division, we have Chas Skelly, who is 17-4, taking on Jordan Griffin, who is 17-6. The opening betting line for this one was Skelly, the favorite, at minus 130. Griffin, the slight underdog, at minus 115. Right now, the line has flipped. We are seeing Griffin, minus 140, Skelly, plus 120. So, two-way action coming on this fight. Jordan Griffin actually got pushed up to a dog early uh, plus 125 is the highest he got and then steadily that uh, action has come back in on him 
And uh, again, with those early limits, people came in on Skelly early and then uh, the, the sharp money, once the, the limits open up, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might be only able to bet $100 or $50 or $200 on most books when the lines first come out. But after a few days and the lines settle, you're able to bet multiple hundreds or possibly even thousands of dollars on the money lines. And that's when you see the more line movement come in. That's when you see the better bettors sharp betters is what most people call them not better betters that sounds ridiculous uh, but that's when that sharp money comes in and it pushes the line uh, a little bit more so uh, i agree with the line movement in this one getting griffin at that plus money uh, was sweet and congratulations to anybody who did so where the line is at now it's looking like more of a pass for me honestly because i think either guy could win this fight it's a wrestler versus wrestler matchup skelly uh, he's got that long, tall, lanky frame, uh, especially for featherweight, man. This guy just has one of the weirdest looking bodies and builds I've ever seen. And his striking is is not good anywhere. His defense is, is really poor. He's super hittable. And his offense is almost non-existent. He, he doesn't really throw anything with too much technique or power. He's really looking to close distance, get those takedowns going, possibly look for a submission. But uh, he's getting to, towards the end of his career. He's only had about one fight in the past two years. He's coming off of two losses in a row. And that fight against Moffitt, he, uh, he looked like he got gassed, gassed out after the first round, honestly. And he was... Uh, he got put on bottom versus Moffat, and Moffat had like three Darce wins in a row, and Skelly still let him set up the Darce and lock it in, and eventually that fight ended in controversial fashion, but I don't think, see any problem with the stoppage. The referee was asking if Skelly was okay. He wasn't moving. He was in a choke. Uh, the referee stopped it. It didn't look like Skelly was quite out, but I mean, he wasn't moving in a choke, and when the referee shook his arm to, to get a reaction out of him, he didn't respond, so... It could have been like one of those Lawler-Askren situations. Who knows? But I didn't see anything wrong with the stoppage. I think the referee was right to stop it at that moment. But uh, I think that um, getting over to uh, uh, Jordan Griffin, he had a, a pretty tough debut. He took on uh, Dan Ige, who was a really skilled fighter. I rate him super highly. And he had a, a really competitive fight with him. I think he was the better striker uh, versus Ige in that fight. But he just really struggled with the takedown defense and uh, the top position of Ige. Uh, his cardio looked good. I mean, he was he was ready to scramble, stuff takedowns, hit his own offensive takedowns, uh, throw a lot of strikes, and he uh, he impressed me in that fight despite losing that fight to Ige via decision. So I think that uh, Skelly will be the one looking to initially uh, hit that offensive takedown, but I think Griffin's takedown defense and scrambling ability will be able to, uh, will be good enough to avoid uh, getting put on his back, avoid getting his back taken, put in any of Skelly's submissions, and I really trust Griffin's cardio uh, in the the rounds two and three to, to run away with this fight. So I think Skelly will be pressing the action, looking for the takedown and submission in round one. I think Griffin defends, uh, is able to stay on his feet, outstrike uh, Skelly at range, or maybe he loses round one. I'd say Griffin probably loses round one, but uh, Skelly will uh, probably be gassed out again in rounds two and three, and uh, Griffin will be able to stuff the takedowns a little bit easier, maybe end up in top position himself, uh, outstrike Skelly on the feet, and possibly even get a finish 
damage because uh, Skelly's cardio drop-off is pretty steep. And I think even Jason Knight knocked him out. So uh, I'm going to pick Griffin to get this one done. I leaned for him to get a done by decision, but it's kind of hard to imagine uh, Skelly making it all the way to the 15 minutes. And I think that goes the distance is at like plus money right now too. So uh, it's more likely that Griffin gets the finish, but the official pick is going to be Griffin to win 29-28 decision. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We got Brad Katona, who is 8-1, taking on Hunter Azur, who is 7-0. The opening betting line for this one was Katona, the favorite, at minus 185. Azur, plus 145. Right now, we are seeing Katona, minus 165. Azur, plus 145. So the line has bounced back and forth. There's two-way action coming on this fight. And I think the line should be a little bit closer. I think that Azur is a really live dog in this spot. And I, I've got one unit on his money line myself. I think this fight really comes down to the takedowns of Azur on the Contender Series versus Okan. He really impressed me in that fight. And uh, early versus Okan, he was getting outstruck, got hit with a few punches, decided to switch up the game plan, start looking to pressure himself, get uh, Okan on his back foot, try and land in takedowns. He wasn't successful with the takedown in round one, but in rounds two and three, he was dominating Okan on the mat, getting takedowns, getting back takes. Uh, started out striking Okan on the feet too. When he was moving forward, pressuring, uh, he was landing good strikes and started to eventually outstrike Okan. And the one thing that uh, I didn't like from Missouri is his his top position, his submission game, his uh, control didn't seem that great. He was going for a lot of uh, uh, chokes and um, submissions on Okan, but just couldn't get any. And he did get signed for, on the Contender Series from the decision. He just showed a very well-rounded game, and that's why Dana signed him. But uh, it would have been nice to see him get the decision in that one, because or the submission in that one, because he's going to look to get, take down Katona. Katona has struggled with takedowns before. He got taken down by Matthew Lopez. He got uh, outgrappled pretty thoroughly last fight by Mirab. Uh, he has struggled getting off his back. He maybe likes to play, uh, play bottom a little bit too much, look from elbows from the bottom and submissions off his back. But I think Azur uh, will be looking to get takedowns, will probably get Katona down, and it really comes down to if Katona can get back to his feet, stay uh, clear of any submissions, um, and then outstrike Azur on the feet because on the feet it should be pretty close. But I think Katona should be a slightly better striker. And I think that Katona should be the favorite in this fight, maybe minus 130, minus 150, because he's been in the UFC before. He's picked up some decent wins. He's gone the, uh, the distance. He's, sh he's shown a pretty decent, well-rounded game, and he's really only lost to, to really good fighters. Um, but the fact that he was taken down by Lopez, the fact that he had a competitive fight with Lopez and uh, was struggling with the strikes of Lopez and really got uh, outstruck and outgrappled by Marab, too, um, I don't think, I think that Azur is definitely the value side of things is at plus 145 here so uh, I think that the cardio edge the grappling edge goes to Azur the st striking edge for uh, uh, goes to Katona and it really comes down to the scrambles and the takedown defense of Katona and I'm going to side with Azur in this one I think Azur is able to get the takedown uh, he has a very good pace uh, he was able to go a hard 15 minutes versus Okan in the contender series so I'm trusting he's going to be in good shape here prepare to go to the full five uh, wrestle a lot and uh, I'm going to pick a zero to win by decision. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division as well. We have Cole Smith, who is 7-0, taking on Miles Johns, who is 9-0. The opening betting line for this one was 
John's the favorite at minus 175. Smith, the underdog, at plus 135. Right now, we are seeing John's minus 130, Smith plus 110. So more action coming in on Smith's way, and uh, I agree with it. And uh, you know, both of these guys, I think, are, are are impressive. Honestly, I think this is a very good fight. It should be uh, an exciting one. Uh, I think. It'll really come down to the takedowns and the cardio in this one. Uh, similar to the last fight, it's going to be a very grappling-heavy fight. Uh, on the feet, Johns has some, some very interesting striking. He's very heavy on his lead leg. He has a decent right hand, but he throws his one-two a little sloppily. He leans way too far over his his, uh, his front foot, and he, it's pretty untechnical the way he strikes. But luckily, he's not facing a, a great counterpuncher or anything. He's taken on Smith, who had a good showing in his first fight versus uh, Gagnon. He was able to defend takedowns versus Mitch Gagnon. He hit his own takedowns. He was able to get a back taking that fight he did get briefly dropped or briefly rocked with a left hand in that one versus uh, Gagnon which is a bit of a worry and that's why I think that John's best path to victory would be an early finish in this one uh, he, he probably wants to look to catch the chin of uh, Smith early uh, he does have decent power in that right hand and he, he looks good in round one but John's cardio it has a pretty decent drop off uh, he uh in his fight on the contender series he in rounds two and three he was gassed bad he was still getting top position he was able to out grapple out strike richie santiago to a comfortable decision but he showed a lot of weaknesses in that fight he was going for really low percentage chokes and he was losing position and his cardio looked bad he looked a little bit desperate for the takedowns at the time luckily he was fighting an, a gassed low-level fighter as well in santiago but i think that cole will actually have the better cardio in this one and I think that Cole has the grappling uh, scrambles and, and uh, abilities to put Johns on the bottom in rounds two and three and win those later rounds. So the uh, the prediction for me is going to be Johns is going to come out strong, be aggressive in round one versus uh, versus Smith. He's Smith's going to look to clinch up, defend strikes, maybe hit his own level change. But uh, even if it stays on the feet, I think Smith is going to be smashing that lead leg uh, of Johns because as I mentioned, Johns super heavy in that lead leg, very boxing heavy attack. And uh, Smith showed a, a good calf kick versus Gagnon in that fight. So um, Gagnon, uh, Smith also showed very good cardio versus Gagnon too. So uh, I think Johns is going to outstrike Smith in round one, maybe hit his own offensive takedown. But I think uh, Smith will get up. He won't stay in a bad position. I think Smith starts to take Johns down. He starts to outstrike Johns in rounds two and three. And uh, Smith runs away with the decision, uh, possibly even a late finish. So uh, the pick for me is going to be uh, Smith to get the decision win, 29-28 uh, in this one. And I also have a one-unit bet on Smith at plus 120. Moving on to the next fight, which takes place in the heavyweight division. The last fight on the prelims, we have Augusto Sakai, who is 13-1-1, taking on Marcin Tabura, who is 17-5. The opening betting line for this one was Tabura, the minus-135 favorite. Sakai, slight underdog at minus-105. Right now we are seeing Tabura minus 120, Sakai plus 100. So two-way action coming in on this fight, and uh, you know why? It's a uh, it's a heavyweight fight. Uh, these guys, I'd say, are both pretty mid mid to high level. You know, you only can get so high level at heavyweight, but they're both pretty well rounded. 
Sakai is primarily a boxing attack. He throws the occasional kick as well, maybe the uh, kick to the, uh, front kick to the stomach and an occasional leg kick. Uh, but uh, he has decent takedown defense. We've seen him defend a few takedowns against uh, not so high level wrestlers, though. Uh, I think he stuffed some takedowns of uh, some shitty takedowns of Arlovsky. He stuffed a, uh, a takedown of Coronado in the Contender Series, but. He did get taken down one time by Coronado with a nice powerful double leg, but he, he got his back to the cage and he stood back up to his feet right away and he finished Coronado that same round. So uh, getting over to Tybura, he is another well-rounded heavyweight. It just seems to let you down like consistently. Uh, with that fight with Derek Lewis, he was winning that one. He got knocked out in the third round. Uh, Shamil last fight he was the favorite coming into that fight it looked worse than he ever had I swear when he was walking out for that fight I said Tabura looks sick like his face he was like sweating and gray it looked like he had like diarrhea or something uh, I don't know what was going on in that fight but it showed in the fight he looked slow he looked uh, one step behind Shamil he got outstruck by Shamil and knocked out in the second round so I don't know what that performance is about. It's it might be an anomaly. Tabura could come back in this fight looking real good, uh, but well, from what I've seen lately, I've I've seen Sakai look pretty decent. Uh, he picked up that split decision victory over Arlovsky last fight. A very close decision, could have gone either way. He picked up that round three finish over Sherman in his debut. So I, I've seen some good things from Sakai. I think that. Uh, on the feet, this one should be real competitive. Uh, I give the, the punching edge to Sakai and the kicking edge to Tabura. And then in the grappling realm of things, I think Tabura has the better takedowns, has the better top control. He can get top position and kind of stall out on top. Uh, but I think that Sakai's takedown defense is good enough to uh, to uh, avoid any takedowns. But uh, if Tabura wins, it is by takedowns. If this fight stays standing, I think Sakai will have the better volume over three rounds and will outstrike Tabura. Uh, but if Tabura mixes in the takedowns and gets Sakai on his back, I think that's how he wins the fight. So um, from what I've seen lately, I just cannot pay that favorite price at Tabura. Uh, I'm not not saying I'm betting Sakai because it's not that great value. It's plus uh, 100, a 50-50 type of fight. I do agree with the odds. It is that type of fight, maybe even a slight lean to Sakai. I haven't locked in a play on him yet, even though I am picking him to win the fight. I'm going to go with Sakai to get it done by decision. Maybe the decision prop will be a little interesting. Maybe a live bet will be interesting if Tabura looks bad again. But so far, no bet. But the pick is going to be Sakai to get it done by decision. Moving on to the main card portion of the card, starting things off in the light heavyweight division, we have Misha Serkunov, who is 14-5, taking on Jimmy Crute, who is 10-0. The opening betting line for this one was Krut, the favorite, at minus 145, Sirkunov plus 105 underdog. Right now we are seeing the line flipped, Sirkunov, the slight favorite, at minus 115, Krut minus 105. So, interesting line movement in this one, and I honestly understand why, because Krut got down to... Uh, I think as, as low as maybe, let's see, minus 230 at one point. So if you got in on Sarkunov at, at his highest price, which was maybe plus 170, that's an extremely good bet. And I honestly think that you have a chance at cashing it because uh, Krut's ground game is, is a huge weakness. And you might think that, hey, he, uh, he outgrappled um, Paul Craig 
Well, yeah, he did, but he did that in a very sloppy manner. He was getting taken down, was getting put on bottom, and then he would wait and then explode out of position and reverse uh, position on Craig. He, he was using a little bit of technique, but it was mostly strength and it was mostly capitalizing on the timing and the sloppiness of Craig's grappling. So it was a sloppy back and forth grappling fight. They were both on bottom a lot. Crew did have some nice position reversals, but he's not going to be able to do those against Sarkunov. He, and in fact, if he does the, that same shit, he's going to get choked out because Sarkunov is the much better grappler on, on the floor by a, a wide margin. I mean, even though it's black belt versus brown belt, don't get it twisted. Sarkunov's MMA grappling is way, way better. He's tapped out the better competition, fought the better competition over uh, by far. So uh, on the feet in this one, I think that Sarkunov should be the more technical striker, although Krut has some massive power. His right hand has got some pop in it. He just knocked out Sam Alvey in his last fight with that punch. Uh, nice counter right hand is just completely floored Alfie and then he finished up with some ground and pound for the finish and Sarkunov is a bit chinny on the feet man he's been knocked out a few times before uh, he, he's looked good in fights before uh, like uh, Teixeira then he got taken down he got put on bottom and then uh, stuck on bottom and then finished with ground and pound so he's had winnable fights that he's lost before and I mean we got to talk about his last fight Sarkunov's fighting Johnny Walker Bet on him myself as an underdog, as an, I know a lot of people did. We're feeling good about the bets. We're feeling good about getting the takedowns and uh, the submission on Walker. But what do you know? Flying knee to the face, and Sarkunov gets knocked out. So it's entirely possible the crew. Uh, gets yeah gets the uh, the knockout early maybe gets his own submission uh, no he's not gonna submit Sarkunov maybe uh, Craig gets the early knockout in this one maybe he grinds uh, Sarkunov out for the full 15 minutes because he does probably have the better cardio at this point he's young he's like 23 he's making massive improvements fight to fight and uh, you know it's hard to hard to bet against Crew because he's so athletic so strong and powerful that I think that he can win this fight even though he's the less technical fighter. By by far, but the way I see it going is Krut's takedown defense is really bad. I mean, Craig was getting him down with some pretty weak takedown attempts, like desperate grasping for ankle takedowns, and Krut was uh, still getting taken down. And that's where Crew uh, ended up reversing position because Craig was being so desperate and untechnical with the takedowns. Krut was able to, uh, to easily reverse them once he finally got them. But Misha is going to be a lot more technical. He's going to use uh, great take, uh, you know, good takedowns. He's got good wrestling. Uh, he's going to probably get mount uh, side control or something and get a uh, maybe get Krut to try to power out of the position. He's going to take his back. He's either going to get a guillotine or a rear naked choke. So the pick is going to be Sarkunov to get it done by first round submission. But if this fight goes past uh, maybe the seven and a half minute mark, I'm going to say that Krut probably takes over in the later rounds maybe gets top position maybe gets a late finish on Sarkunov in round three or wins a decision so it's a close fight to pick if you got in on Sarkunov at that plus money of any kind that's a great bet I don't know if I would bet him as a favorite here because it is a 50-50 fight it is a tough one to pick Krut can certainly win it uh, I think Sarkunov might be a great live betting spot. You might Krut might come out strong in round one, uh, win round one, and then Sarkunov could take over rounds two and three and get this late takedown and submission. That's possible too. So I think Sarkunov gets the victory, uh, and that's going to be my pick. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Antonio Carlos Jr., who is 10-3, taking on Uriah Hall, who is 14-9. The opening betting line for this one was... 
Antonio Carlos Jr., ACJ, minus 195. Uriah Hall, plus 155. Right now we are seeing ACJ, minus 250. Uriah Hall, plus 210. I don't see too many people refer to Antonio Carlos Jr. as ACJ, but I think it, it comes off the tongue nicely. I like it as a nickname, so I'm rolling with it. So uh, on the feet in this one, Hall should be the better striker. He's uh, pretty much a striker by nature. He's got real good power in his hands. He's got great kicks. He actually had a really good jab going versus Paulo Costa uh, before he got knocked out in that fight. But he, he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Costa and traded punches for a good eight or nine minutes before he went down in that fight. So no shame at all in that loss. He went out on a sword, and he actually bounced back with a great victory over Bavon Lewis in his last fight was getting outstruck in rounds one and two of that fight but was just looking for an opening the entire time as he always does comes back in round three lands an overhand right and knocks uh lewis out on you know lewis was fighting a great fight he was barely making any mistakes and then he made a big uh, crucial mistake he leaned too far uriah hall countered and knocked him out so that's the type of fighter uriah hall is he did that same thing versus jocko he got hurt bad versus jocko he got uh, taken down in that fight and then, what do you know, in round two, comes back, lands that overhand right, and knocks him out. So, Uriah Hall can come back from, from losing. He's done it multiple times before. And I think that's what he's going to have to do in this fight early. Because unless Uriah Hall knocks Antonio Carlos Jr. out in round one uh, with some, some uh, crazy strike or something, which is possible, I think Antonio Carlos Jr. wins round one pretty, pretty easily. Uh, Carlos Jr. is a world champion black belt. Uh, he's got some of the best submissions in the UFC. Great top control. Pretty good wrestling to go along with it. You see a lot of jiu-jitsu guys not have great wrestling to get their fights to the ground. And what good is good jiu-jitsu if you don't have good wrestling as well? But uh, Carlos Jr. does have a good takedown. He can get fights to the floor. He can uh, tap out uh, experienced black belts like Eric Spicely. Uh, he's taken down uh, and, and tapped out multiple of his opponents. You know, the rear naked choke is really his go-to move. And I that's really what this fight comes down to is Carlos Jr. is going to be looking for the takedown. He's going to relentlessly be looking to take this fight to the floor. And only guys with really good takedown defense like uh, Ian Heinish and... Uh, Marvin Vittori have been able to avoid the submission. Daniel Kelly withstood the early attack from Carlos Jr. and knocked him out late. Patrick Cummins was able to um, outgrapple him about five years ago in, uh, in his first couple fights in the UFC. So uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. is not unbeatable. You just have to withstand the early grappling attack. You have to have good takedown defense. You have to stay on your feet because if this fight goes to the ground, Carlos Jr. is going to do what he wants with Uriah Hall. Don't get it twisted. Uh, no matter how good Uriah Hall's de defensive grappling is, I really doubt it's going to be good enough to uh, to avoid the submission of Antonio Carlos Jr. So uh, unless Hall can stuff takedowns, land hard punches on the feet in the early rounds, it's it, it's going to be hard for me to uh, to pick him to win this one. Now, Carlos Jr. does gas out later in rounds when he can't get that takedown. He will work super hard for the takedown, and he will gas himself out doing it. And that's what happened versus uh, Ian Heinish. He, that's what happened versus Vittori too, but in Vittori, he dug deep in round three and was able to uh, win that, that last round by just getting in top position a little bit more than Vittori. So, 
Uh, I could see a position, a, a scenario where Carlos Jr. wins round one uh, with the takedowns, but Hall survives. Round two is more competitive. Hall stuff, starts stuffing shots and uh, outstrikes him. And then it's, it could really come down to that third round, and uh, maybe Hall continues up the momentum and wins the, the last two rounds for the, the decision. Or maybe Antonio Carlos Jr. comes back in that third round after losing the past round and wins the third round like he did versus Vittori. Uh, there's a lot of different possibilities for this fight, but the most likely scenario I see happening is Antonio Carlos Jr. getting the takedown in round one and getting the submission probably by way of rear naked choke. Uh, so the pick is going to be uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. to get it done by first round submission. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Michelle Pereira, who is 23-9, taking on Tristan Connolly, who is 13-6. The opening betting line for this one was Pereira, the minus 320 favorite, Connolly plus 240. Right now we are seeing Pereira minus 600, Connolly plus 450. So not too much to say about this fight. It's a very short notice replacement. It was supposed to be Pereira versus Kondoskov, but Kondoskov got hurt. Now uh, Connolly's filling in. He's a uh, former lightweight. He's uh, fought and beaten some pretty decent competition. He's fought the full five rounds before. He uh, goes for finishes. He uh, seems like a pretty decent fighter, but there's one big glaring problem, and there is no full fight footage online of Connolly. Um, you, you could buy one of his fights on Fight TV or something like that for like 15 bucks if you really want to study this fight. Uh, you can do that one, but I don't really care about this fight enough to, to dig that deep into it. I tried to listen to, uh, to get look at some highlights of him or watch old fights, but I'm telling you, Connolly, there's so little footage of this guy. There's none on Yoku. There's none on YouTube or Vimeo. I was looking all over the place. I did find an interview with him from James Lynch. From a few days ago, he seems to know what he's up against. He knows that he's up against a big, powerful, flashy striker. He knows he has to withstand the early storm in round one, look to tie up Pereira, look to clinch him, get takedowns, and drag him into the later rounds, and look to submit him and or uh, get the finish somehow in rounds two and three. And that's the right game plan, but it's a big if if he can survive round one. Because Pereira, as you know, he had an impressive UFC debut. He landed the flying knee knockout. Uh, over Danny Roberts it was an incredible performance in that one and uh, he really has incredible flashy striking and he uses it effectively I mean this guy throws 100, 110% in every strike he has incredible uh, innovation in the cage I guess you could call it he's running off the cage and doing backflips and doing uh, you know, tumble kicks and all types of stuff that you don't see from any other fighter but you might think it's bullshit you might think it doesn't work but when he fought Todorovic, he wasn't using any flashy techniques. He was trying to outstrike him with just the uh, the bread and butter strikes. But he he was unsuccessful. He got outstruck by the more technical guy. He got uh, was getting pressured, hit with punches, and he eventually got TKO'd in that fight versus Todorovic, who actually just came off the Contender Series and looked pretty good. I think he got himself a contract. But Pereira throws a massive speed, massive power. He throws flying knees, uh, spinning kicks, hard right hands. I mean, he throws power in his right hand. So I just don't see Connolly being able to uh, to withstand that. I mean, he's a former 55er. He has six losses on his record in the regionals. He's coming in on here on like a week's notice. And even though he seems to have fought decent competition, he might actually have a decent UFC career at 55 in the future. I think he's up against it a little bit too much in this fight. And I think Pereira 
Pereira gets that first round knockout, probably with the right hand. Uh, maybe we, we were fortunate enough to see some more flying and spinning shit from Pereira because his first fight in the UFC was fucking awesome. That knockout over Danny Roberts was one of the knockouts of the year. So uh, the pick is going to be Pereira to get it done by decision. But if Connolly is still standing after round one, live bet Connolly. He he will be live if he survives round uh, one. Maybe even pre-fight bet uh, Connolly rounds two and three. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Todd Duffy, who is nine and three, taking on Jeff Hughes, who is ten and two. The opening betting line for this one was Duffy minus one seventy, Hughes plus one thirty. Since then, the line has flipped. We are now seeing Hughes minus one twenty five, Duffy plus one o five. So, I don't know who the odds maker who set Duffy at minus one seventy is, but uh, he might have been drunk. Because Todd Duffy is coming off of a four-year layoff. Four years. Has not fought since July of 2015. So that is a huge red flag. And you could think, uh, I think it might have been a USADA problem. What I really know is it's injuries. He's had a, a series of injuries. He's had surgery on both of his knees. He tore his ACL as recently as 2015. And... He uh, is, apparently has like a neurological disease, and I'm sure he's got problems with you know getting knocked out as well, suffering uh, three vicious knockouts in, in his UFC career or in his MMA career, excuse me. Uh, but Todd Duffy's fighting style is a typical typical heavyweight or what you'd expect from a heavyweight. He blitzes you in round one, tries to knock you out in the first minute he he stands in the center of the cage and trades punches he's not very technical he throws sloppy punches he doesn't have good defense he's kind of chinny he's uh very hittable i mean he he threw one of the worst punches in ufc history versus frank Mir. got countered and knocked out and four years is a long way to be away from the sport and even though jeff hughes isn't the most uh technical fighter himself he's not he hasn't been very dominant in his ufc tenure he actually lost a split decision to maurice green last fight uh because even though i had him winning the fight uh, i mean he it was a low output affair and when it's a low output fight like that you give room for the judges to coin flip the cards and that's what happened in that fight and he paid the price for for being low output so uh, even though uh, Hughes, I think, won that fight, he, he, he got robbed on the scorecards. And he, that was a lesson that, that he had to learn in that one. I'm sure he'll come out much more aggressive in this one. So uh, even though Hughes looks like a kind of a fat, uh, chubby, slobby fighter, he, he's technical. He's got good boxing. He can stuff a takedown. He can hit his own offensive takedown. And uh, I think he's the much better fighter than Duffy at this point in their careers. So it really comes down to if Hughes is prepared for that early storm because you know Duffy's game plan. He's coming in here to try to knock you out in round one. And if Hughes is looking to uh, to strike with Duffy, he's giving Duffy his best path to victory, and that would be getting that early round one knockout. What Hughes wants to do is to uh, – he has to be prepared for that early storm. He either has to bite down on the mouthpiece and throw hard punches at Duffy back and try to knock Duffy out, which is possible because Duffy's defense is terrible – and he fights super uncoordinated, and he looks like he's just throwing bombs out there. And uh, But if Hughes would be smart to look to uh, hit a level change, maybe look to clinch Duffy up, make him tired, with being not having fought in four years and only having three fights in the past seven years, 
Duffy is, is not used to fighting. He's going to have some nervous energy in there. He's probably going to gas out. And if he can't get that knockout in the first round, Hughes should dominate the fight, probably finishing Duffy at some point. So uh, I would say Duffy has a decent chance of getting that first round knockout. Uh, Maurice Green came out and was super aggressive in round one versus Hughes, and he outstruck him pretty handedly in round one. But Hughes' uh, output dropped off in rounds two and three, and that's when he started to get outstruck. So Duffy's going to come out Hughes strong, and I think that Hughes is crafty enough, he's smart enough to be able to avoid that attack, but uh, I think that Duffy has, I'd say, a 40% chance at knocking Hughes out in round one. Other than that, though, he has no chance of winning the fight. His cardio is going to drop off, he can't, uh, he doesn't have a... Uh, much of a wrestling or jujitsu game he's not going to look to level change he's not going to take this fight in the later rounds Hughes will be the one winning rounds two and three if the fight goes that far so uh, I'm siding with Hughes but it's not a confident pick because he is going to have to deal with that early storm of Duffy and Duffy could certainly come in here and get a meme style knockout over Hughes in round one and uh, make us all feel real stupid. So I think if you got in on Hughes at plus money, it was a good bet. I wouldn't go too crazy with it, maybe one or two units at most. Uh, and I, the pick is going to be Hughes to win this fight. I'm going to go with a second round TKO. The next fight in the co-main event of the evening takes place in the light heavyweight division. We have Glover Teixeira, who is 29 and 7, taking on Nikita Krylov, who is 26 and 6. The opening betting line for this one was. Glover as the favorite at minus 130 to Krylov, the slight underdog at minus 110. And right now we are seeing Teixeira minus 115, Krylov minus 105. So two-way action coming in on this fight all week. I think uh, the early action came in on Krylov, uh, pushing him to minus 145. That late action coming back on on Teixeira in this one. And I think that the action on Teixeira is a little more warranted. This is a matchup that Glover Teixeira has been faced with before. He's taken on a younger, powerful guy with better striking who should be quicker and the better striker by a wide margin than him at this point in their career. Like Ian Kutalebo was last fight. Kutalebo was taken into uh, Teixeira early. He was hurting him in round one. He rocked him with a spinning back fist. Carl Robeson uh, used some powerful elbows to counter the takedown of Teixeira and almost had Teixeira knocked out. But in both of the uh, Misha Sakunov, who we discussed earlier, was was beating uh, Teixeira early, outstriking him. But then Teixeira, once he gets that takedown, once he gets that top position, man, he's got some of the most underrated top position in all of MMA. Uh, I I've known very few guys, fighters, who have been able to escape the bottom position uh, of Glover Teixeira. Maybe Phil Davis way way back in the day. But if if Teixeira gets you down, he typically wins the fight. He has great ground and pound, good submission games. He has uh, great arm triangle chokes, great rear naked chokes. Uh, he'll use that ground and pound to soften you up, take the back, get the rear naked choke. That's what he did versus Kutaleba. Versus Roberson, he just got mount and went right to the arm triangle. And Krylov has struggled with submissions before. I'd say the majority of, of his losses in his career have come by way of submission. Um, let's see, I, I am right, he has lost by arm triangle choke uh, twice to uh, Vladimir Machenko, he lost by Von Flu choke to Ovin St. Pru, he lost by Guillotine to Sarkunov, and he got arm triangled again versus Jan Blahovich, uh just last year, so Karlov's sub-defense has gotten better, his grappling overall has gotten better, he hits his own offensive takedowns, he actually submitted Ovin St. Pru last fight, 
So Krylov is getting better, but when he faces those elite level grapplers, he does still tend to get out grappled. That's what happened versus Blahovich and Sarkunov lately. And uh, now fight, even though he beat Ovin St. Preux in the last fight, if you watch round one of that fight, he was taken down and he got mounted by Ovin St. Preux. And he used a very risky, explosive technique to get back to his feet. He, he just kind of powered out of that uh, that mounted position. Luckily, he escaped back to his feet, but he better be careful doing that versus Glover Teixeira because Teixeira, like I said, his top position is so great, he's going to leave no space. And if Karlov tries to explode out of there making a mistake, um, Glover Teixeira is either going to pound him out with ground and pound or get that submission uh, via rear naked choke, uh, arm triangle, possibly even a guillotine. So on the feet in this one, Karlov should be the better striker. He's going to come out in round one, very aggressive like he did versus Ovin St. Preux. Uh, he's got good, fast punches. He's got powerful, quick head kicks. Uh, Karloff's striking is really good. And if he's able to, to fix up that takedown defense of his, if he's able to stop making so many bad uh, IQ decisions on the ground, I think this guy could be uh, may, maybe a future champion three to five years down the road because he's still young. I think he's I think he's still only like maybe 28 years old or something like that. And if he if he continues improving at the at this steady 27 years old, that's incredible. If he still keeps improving like he has been the past few years, uh, I, I honestly think that we could see Krylov as the guy uh, who is the champion in three to five years after Jones has retired and after all of the light heavyweights have cycled through. We might see Krylov at the top of the division because he might not even have hit his athletic prime yet. And this could be the first step in Karlov's stride into uh, propelling himself into a, into a, an elite level fighter. He could come out here and dust Glover in round one and look incredible doing it, or he could continue up that 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 trend of making those bad decisions, uh, especially on the ground. He makes some bonehead IQ moves on the ground, like he tried taking down uh, Jan Blahovich after he got hurt by. Uh, well. He got dropped by a punch versus Blahovich, and then he got uh, guillotined in that one. So I'll give him a little bit of credit in that one. But he was taking down Blahovich in that one. But he just he just makes some some bonehead moves on the ground. So it's hard to hard to trust uh, Krylov in this one against uh, a, such a talented submission uh, grappler like. Uh, Glover Teixeira, but what I will say is Glover Teixeira struggled getting the takedown on Kutaleba. He went 0 for 7 on takedowns versus Kutaleba, who doesn't have good takedown defense. And then eventually Kutaleba threw a kick and um, he fell off balance and Teixeira got on top. And that is when Teixeira ran away with the fight, got the mount, got the, the choke. So Teixeira might have trouble getting Krylov down in this one. Krylov's takedown defense might be good enough to fend off the takedowns, but with Krylov's kicks being uh, such a vital part of his game, I see uh, some way Teixeira getting him down, whether it's a caught kick or whether it's a takedown. I think Teixeira gets uh, Krylov down on the mat, eventually gets a dominant position, and gets the submission at some point on Krylov. So the pick for me is going to be uh, a second-round submission from, from Glover Teixeira. I think the fight plays out very similar to how the, the Kutaleba fight did, and Pre-fight, I'm gonna pass on the Teixeira money line, uh, especially at, uh, at um, as a favorite. If you got Teixeira at plus money, I think that's a good bet. But I think that we're gonna get a good price on Teixeira in after round one. I think Krylov comes out, wins round one, and if uh, Teixeira is still standing at the end of the first round, I think he takes the fight over, gets the takedown, and gets the submission. So uh, maybe he. Uh, 
to share round one a prop before the fight and then look to live bet him or maybe Krylov round one. There's a lot of different ways to play this fight. It's a really, really good fight. It's deserving of co-main event for sure. Big fan of both of these guys. I can't wait for this one to go down, but the official pick is going to be Teixeira to get it done by second round submission. The last fight of the evening in the main event in the lightweight division, we have Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who is 36-12, and 12, taking on Justin Gaethje, who is 24, or 20 and 2, excuse me, the opening betting line for this one was Gaethje, the favorite, at minus 250. Cerrone, the plus 210 underdog. And right now, we are seeing Gaethje minus 190, Cerrone plus 165. So a two-way action coming in on this fight with a little more towards Cerrone, honestly. And I'm surprised. I think that this is a pretty clear matchup to dissect. And uh Cerrone is one of the most active fighters on the roster. I've probably broken down uh, his weaknesses multiple times and his strengths multiple times. He's a very, Both of these guys are just extremely lovable fighters. They're beloved by fans, both of them. And it's going to be a, a tough fight to pick because, uh, honestly, I, I see Cerrone get knocked out in this one. And as such a big fan of the guy, it's hard to predict those things sometimes. But you got to be... Uh, you got to be unbiased when you're uh, breaking down these fights sometimes. Even if you like a fighter, you, you can pick against them sometimes. And that's what's happening here. Because Cerrone's weakness is pressure. It's when guys uh, pressure him, don't give him kicking range, he has trouble. He does not have much power in his punches. So it's hard for Cerrone to get you to stop pressuring forward. Now, that's where Cerrone gets creative and he uses his kicks and his knees sometimes to stop pressure fighters like he did versus Hernandez. But uh, Cerrone versus versus Tony Ferguson, he was barely using kicks and, and knees at all to counter. Ferguson was pressuring him nonstop, lighting him up with inside leg kicks, outside leg kicks, teeps to the body, and, and smashing Cerrone with straight punches too. Uh, Tony Ferguson's punches are so long and, and fast that he was snapping Cerrone's head back multiple times throughout that fight. And what also worried me is is in the early rounds versus Iaquinta, I, uh, Cerrone was was pretty much just boxing with Iaquinta, and he was getting uh, outboxed for the most part. I, I think uh, Al uh, might have lost round one, although it was competitive. Al definitely won round two, and Al was landing some pretty decent punches early, and that that was really all I needed to see was how hittable Cerrone was in the past two fights because he's taken on one of the best pressure fighters in the sport. The guy with uh, some of the best leg kicks, the best power punches. He's got incredible pressure. He's great at cutting off the cage. He gives you no space when he fights you. You have to fight Justin Gaethje in a phone book or in a phone booth. And he makes it difficult for every single guy who he fights. Michael Johnson, him, they had a back and forth war. He eventually knocked Johnson out in the second round of that one. He... Uh, fell short versus uh, Poirier. He had a very competitive fight with Poirier. He was winning the early rounds of that fight. His leg kicks were accumulated. It would look good for him. He threw a leg kick. He got countered with a straight left hand and got finished by Poirier. He got uh, finished by uh, Eddie Alvarez with a knee in the third round. He would really struggle with the body punches of Alvarez in that fight. It was, uh, again, a fight in a phone booth, and Alvarez was digging to the body. He did great work. He was out, out, out striking uh, Gaethje, and he finished him in the third round. Probably Alvarez's uh, best performance in the UFC, but Gaethje has just fought straight killers. His past two matchups, he got early first-round knockouts over James Vick. 
he noticed the tall man's defense of James Vick. He drew out the counters of Vick, found uh, the way that uh, Vick was leaning, and he threw a perfect right hand and knocked Vick out with one punch. Same thing with uh, Barboza, just pressured him right away, traded leg kicks with Barboza, showed that he wasn't afraid of him, and was landing hard punches from the, f- the first 15 seconds. Like the first couple punches that Gaethje landed, you could tell hurt Barboza. And then about 2 minutes and 30 seconds into that fight, he was cutting off the cage well, and he threw a per- uh, picture-perfect red hand and knocked Barboza out with one punch. So I think Gaethje's just getting into his prime right now. He's picking his shots. He's so calculated in there. You might think that Gaethje's a brawler, and you might think that he goes out there and just throws caution to the wind. I-, I tell you, you're dead wrong. He is extremely technical. He's extremely calculated. The way that he's picked his shots the past couple fights, it was extremely impressive. He... Is just get you know when he hurts you he doesn't go crazy and he's not open for counters he picks his shots well he'll leg kick you he'll set up punches and he'll eventually set up that probably that one punch knockout blow because he's got massive power in his hands now he he does have his weaknesses as well he can be uh, when he when he got kicked to the body versus Vic he kind of t- turned into Vic and uh, like took the took I don't even know what he was trying to do maybe reduce the momentum by leaning into him but that's a bad habit I mean especially when you're fighting a guy with great knees and leg kicks like Cerrone or uh, head kicks and knees like Cerrone if Gaethje is leaning in a predictable way Cerrone will time a knee or time a head kick and and, uh, hit Gaethje with a, a big powerful strike and possibly rock him but what I'm having trouble uh, picking Cerrone with is a, a big problem is the, the punching power is just Cerrone's not going to have the power to stop uh, Gaethje from coming forward Cerrone would put a beat down on Iaquinta in rounds three four and five had him dropped hurt bloodied battered and he still couldn't finish Iaquinta and it's not like he was trying super hard he was kind of coasting in those later rounds but uh, Cerrone just really doesn't have very much power. He's not really the type of guy to get a, a one-punch knockout, a one-strike knockout. I mean, he kind of did that versus Hernandez, but that was an accumulation of damage in that one. So uh, Gaethje, I think, I'd say Gaethje's chance of getting a knockout in rounds one or two is like 80%, man. I, I really don't like Cerrone's chances in this fight. Maybe Cerrone can withstand that early storm, uh, do good work to the body, land good counter strikes, get some respect from Gaethje, and start winning rounds three, four, and five. Uh, he, Cerrone does get better as the fight goes on, no doubt about it. He took over the fight versus Iquinta. He actually won the later rounds versus Leon Edwards at Welterweight when they fought, but I just don't see Cerrone uh, surviving that early attack from Gaethje. I think. Gaethje marches forward, kicks the legs of Cerrone, gets into boxing range, lands hard punches, and gets the knockout on Donald Cerrone. Unfortunately, I say that as a fan of the guy. I love both of these guys to death. It should be a crazy competitive fight uh, for as long as it lasts, but I think that Gaethje touches the chin early and knocks Cerrone out in round one. So got uh, got a pretty big bet on uh, Gaethje uh, at minus 190. Happy to throw down some units on his uh, round one or maybe his inside the distance line because I think this is a tailor-made matchup for for Gaethje and it's just a a nightmare matchup for Cerrone. And man, Cerrone, tough as fuck, man. There's just so much respect to this guy. He fought Perry in November. He fought Hernandez in January. He fought Iaquinta in May and then he fought 
uh, Ferguson in July. I mean, or maybe June. Yeah, I mean, the, the dude is just so active, fighting elite after elite after elite level competition, and uh, you know he's truly a UFC legend, a Hall of Famer, no doubt. But uh, he's in for a tough night on Saturday. Uh, I would, uh, I, I'm not gonna say I would be excited to see him pull off the upset because I am betting on Gaethje and I am confident in Gaethje. Um, but it would be certainly a, a cowboy moment for him to pull off one more uh, exciting victory over a young uh, up-and-coming prospect like Gaethje. But I don't think it happens. I think Gaethje gets the knockout, and that's going to do it for this week's podcast. This has been uh, episode 75, I believe, of the Martian MMA podcast. We previewed all 12 fights on the UFC Vancouver card going down this Saturday starting at 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Plus with the main card starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time also on ESPN Plus. So I hope everybody enjoys the fights this week, and I will catch you all next week before the next UFC event. Peace. Thank you.